Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Sarah Ibrahim. With us today, I have Mustafa Ledha. Mustafa has spent over a decade in the real estate space. His experience ranges from investing in single family homes to structuring syndication investments. He specializes in creating passive real estate investment opportunities with the aim of delivering double-digit returns. Mustafa accomplishes this through various means. Mustafa, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Sari. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, thank you for, for joining us. I've been really excited about this episode for the last couple of weeks now. Uh, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, and I was really intrigued by what you guys are doing and your background. Um, obviously, this show is going to talk about real estate investments, being a passive investor in different real estate syndications, like we've talked about on other episodes. Before we jump into real estate and syndications, do you mind sharing more about your background and how you got into the specific niche? Sure, sure. So, Sari, I mean, obviously, I felt the same way when we first connected a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was awesome to you know have those conversations to to really discuss our mutual love and affinity for personal finance. I think it's a great space to be in, and ultimately, it comes down to just investing the time in, in growing ourselves really, and just learning what else is out there. I mean, you know, through our conversations, we talked about cash value whole life and just how, how awesome it is to really mitigate risk and enable everyone to scale their portfolios and really build that strong foundation, which is really what everyone's about at the end of the day. It's that mm -hmm. strong foundation. And, you know, when I think about it and circling back to my own journey, that's really how I got back, how I got into this space. I mean, I graduated school, just like, mm -hmm. you know, most of us, I was privileged enough to go to uh, a good university. Mm -hmm. And then I was kind of trying to figure out what, what my next step is ultimately. And I started, you know, reading different books, uh, watching different YouTube videos and really focusing on, you know, personal finance. And within that space, you know, real estate is something that really, I was really attracted to just because there's so many different options that are mm -hmm. available. And ultimately there's, you know, two camps, those who like don't know enough about it. Mm -hmm. And those who kind of know too much. And then it's like um, kind of analysis paralysis. Yep. And it's, it's beautiful to see that in the space just because there's, there's so much to learn. There's so much opportunity. And then as you learn more, you're just able to continue to scale. And I think that's, that's the beautiful thing about both of our niches, mm -hmm. right? You're in, um, you know, cash value, whole life, mm -hmm. which, you know, there's term life, which is yep. like a term 10, 15, 20, 30 year. I'm sure your audience knows this already, but um, for me, I'm kind of not as familiar but basically at a high level, there's so much depth in it. And mm -hmm. then you have whole life. And then you have this ability to basically think like a bank, which is your whole premise, right? Yeah. Using those different strategies that banks are using to scale. How does mm -hmm. the everyday person use that? And I think that's the beautiful thing about platforms like this, your podcast, all the different you know, guests you've had on and knowledge that you're providing to, to basically everyone. It's um, really advantageous because now anyone, you, me, whomever it is, we can have a conversation casually, learn from each other, mm -hmm. and then take back those different skill sets that we're using every day and really uh, scale. So that's really, you know, how I got into the space is more just, you know, that personal love for just learning mm -hmm. and specifically financial literacy, because it's something that you don't learn in elementary school, middle school, high school, college. You don't realize that you're not learning it. And then one day you're trying to balance your checkbook or you're trying to pay your credit card. You're trying to understand how interest is calculated you're trying to get a mortgage, you're trying to buy a house, you're trying to buy a car, whatever it is. And then you're like, wow, I really need to learn more. Um, and that's, you know, more or less how I got into the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, 
I also love reading too. That's how I got into this space too, just by reading books. I actually found the Bank on Yourself Revolution <coughs> books, book, which talks about our core principle, like you mentioned, whole life insurance. I'm, I found that book just on Amazon searching for finance and real estate books, and it came up as a recommendation. So yeah, you can learn a lot from reading books and you, and then it kind of takes you to a journey you never thought you would expect. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of understand, you know, I understand why people get into real estate. It's kind of like, I guess, like common sense nowadays <laughs> with all the information out there. But what are some of the things that like stuck out to you? Or like, you know, these, you know, two or three things, you know, I, I can go really far with these qualities. Yeah. So I think it really depends on as an investor or as a person, what your mindset is. I mean, today we live in a society where it's all about instant gratification. Yes. Whether it's on TikTok or Instagram or whatever platform you're using. Um, it's all about, you know, just consuming, which, which can be great, but it can also be like overstimulating. So the thing I love about real estate is that there's strategies to make money quick, mm-hmm. there's strategies to make money over time. And there's a strategy for everyone. It's just about kind of understanding yourself to understand what you're getting out of it. And then you can have like a, just like the insurance example. I mentioned that just because I think that's, you know, commonality, right? Mm-hmm. You have the term insurance, which mm-hmm. is good for some people. Yeah. I don't want that 10, 15, 20. 30 year term. And then you have whole life who kind of people who kind of want it for the long term. Mm-hmm. And then they also want to invest. And then within whole life, there's so many different strategies where you can actually create your own bank that you can then leverage or your mm-hmm. own nest egg that you can then leverage and invest. So that's kind of how I see real estate as well. You have, you know, the tradition, whatever the traditional is, it could mm-hmm. be buying a house and renting it out, or it could be buying a house, fixing it and then renting it out. Or it could be buying a house and renting it to short-term tenants on like an Airbnb model. Mm-hmm. Or it can be buying a house, fixing it, and then renting it out on a short-term Airbnb model. So I just mentioned like a couple different models that all sound very familiar, mm-hmm. but the numbers are completely different mm-hmm. and the execution is completely different. And the strategy of what type of house you're buying is completely different. And mm-hmm. for most investors who start out in this space, you really start in the single family home space, mm-hmm. typically. Um, there are some, you know, who hit it big starting in the multifamily space, but typically due to like liquidity, access to capital, most people don't start in, you know, those bigger deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the beautiful thing about it is that there's so many different avenues and that's mm-hmm. just, you know, when you were talking about houses and apartment complexes, there's also things like you can go into hotels, you can go into, you know, mobile home parks, you can mm-hmm. go into storage facilities. Mm-hmm. There's so many different spaces and really, for me, it's one of those situations where there's an investment opportunity for everyone, depending on your mindset mm-hmm. and depending on your affinity. Some people prefer to just, you know, trade on their Robin Hood. Yeah. That instant, maybe instant gratification is the wrong word, yeah. but the ease, the convenience, each, each vehicle has their own or each asset class has its own pros and cons. I think real estate is the one asset class. If you're in that, you know, zero to 10 million net worth. Yeah. I think real estate is what you should be looking at or should be considering at least mm-hmm. to get that initial accelerated growth. And then after that, you know, I would look at something like, you know, unicorn investing, investing in, you know, pre-IPO companies. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it really depends on your risk tolerance as well. You kind of need to assess for yourself. You know, the individual investor might prefer the stability of, of long-term investing and they might prefer like um, uh, an ETF that tracks the S&P 500. Yeah. Right. And then they might be targeting their five to 8% return. Yeah. Meanwhile, you might be like, Hey, I have $10,000. Mm-hmm. What, what can I do with this? And I'd say, okay, you can take this 10,000. You can put it down 3.5% down. You mm-hmm. can buy this house and you can, you know, do X, Y, and Z and you can rent it out. Mm-hmm. And then in time, 
that house will become more valuable mm-hmm. if it's appreciating around 3% is the like national average three to 5% a year. Mm-hmm. The house is appreciating. The house might've been worth, let's say 300 K mm-hmm. just for discussion purposes. Mm-hmm. So it's going up that three to 5% every year, but you only put that 10 K down for example, as an example. Yep. So the 300 K is going up, let's say 3% every year, but that's much more on your cash on cash return if you were to sell, right? Because you use leverage. And then concurrently, you individually might not have been able to afford the mortgage, but you rented it out. So you're no longer paying the mortgage mm-hmm. or you either rented out the whole thing, or maybe you lived in one room and rented out the other rooms. So bottom line, the reason I love it is because there's so many different strategies. Mm-hmm. The only one who's like limiting anything in real estate is me, myself and my lack of knowledge. Yeah. But really the onus is on me to just learn more. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You mentioned, you know, leverage. I, I think it's a key component, right? Of real estate. Like you mentioned, a single family house with 3.5% down. You mentioned cash on cash return. How would one calculate cash on cash return? Beautiful. Yeah. So in that example that I was talking about, let's say we were talking about a $300,000 house, mm-hmm. right? 3.5% works out to be around $10,500 mm-hmm. that you're putting down or I'm putting down or the investor is putting down. Yeah. Right. Let's say I get together with a couple of buddies of mine, maybe it's a three bedroom, right? And yeah. we say, okay, hey, I'm going to rent out these other two bedrooms. I'm in college, for example, mm-hmm. right? Hypothetically, I'm in college. I'm going to dorm. I think you're in, you're in Chicago, right? Yeah. 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 You're in Chicago. I'm in New Jersey. So you're going, I don't know, you're going like the local community, the local state college in Chicago. I'm going local state college in New Jersey. Um, both of those are probably very uh, commuter friendly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So let's say, you know, year one, I'm getting lay of the land. I go to college. Um, I do well. I make some friends. Year two, I want to live with my friends. Right. At least this was my experience. I don't know. Maybe yours was different. Um, so then I say, okay, I'm going to rent a place. That's the normal normal like pathway i'm going to rent a place near near my university i'm gonna live with my friends mm-hmm. um so one option is instead of renting that place buy a place mm-hmm. now as a college kid this is you know not necessarily easy but if you're in a position where you have parents who mm-hmm. are flexible with putting down a down payment or co-signing or whatever it's a you know it's a really aggressive way and potentially strategic way to scale your personal finances at a very young age mm-hmm. and then it puts you like 20 years ahead of everyone else and it's not really about comparing yourself to everyone else. Yeah. It's about kind of understanding what your goals are for yourself and how to get there quickly. So the strategy that I'm mentioning is what I would do for myself if I uh-huh. had the information I have today. Um, I don't have, I didn't have at that point in time, a decade's worth of experience mm-hmm. or how to structure it. But that's the point of um, platforms like this. It's, mm-hmm. If we had this knowledge earlier, what would we have done? So this is what I would do. And this is what I tell like my younger cousins or people I speak to. Yeah. Like if you're going to be living somewhere and you're going to be paying someone, why not have your friends pay you? You also pay a portion of the rent, mm-hmm. right? Now it's cash flowing. It's an asset. Right now we're in a hyper or mm-hmm. we're in an inflationary environment. So real estate is the perfect hedge for inflation, right? So these are all different ways that you can go to college and maybe minimize the expense of college and uh, ideally start to generate that nest egg for yourself. So that's, you know, one, one strategy. Mm-hmm. Now, if we fast forward, I'm not sure what the average demographic is in terms of age mm-hmm. on the podcast, but let's just say hypothetically, mm-hmm. we're in the 30 to 50 range. Yeah. Right. And let's say, you know, we're fortunate enough to have to have our own, you know, single family residence. Maybe we're not in the position to have the liquidity to um, invest in real estate or to, to buy a property or we don't want to deal with the headache. That's where, you know, private real estate investment opportunities come into play. 
And that's really, you know, the niche that I focus mm-hmm. on and that I specialize in. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, professionals who are looking to scale, who are looking to have exposure in real estate, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily in the position to spend the time or they don't have the time rather to find the deals and invest and manage it. So it really depends on really understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. And if, if you understand yourself, you're better able and you're better equipped to invest in assets that can generate high return, mm-hmm. but also reflect what you're looking for in the market, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And kind of, kind of the, to differentiate active investing, real estate investing, which is example you mentioned, putting 10,000 on a 300,000, you know, managing it, finding the tenants, dealing with the tenants. And then there's the, the passive side where you're simply investing as a passive limited partner. I, I would say similar to going on your phone and buying Robinhood, not uh, stocks through Robinhood, not necessarily buying stocks in a syndication, but the idea of moving money from your checking account into an investment. Similar exactly. To that. And the benefit, I guess they both have pros and cons to each one, uh, active and passive. I think yeah. the benefits of passive is you don't have to do work. You don't have to work on the real estate. You don't have to find the deals. You don't have to deal with the brokers or the banks or tenants or anybody. You're simply just helping fund the deal. You still have to do your due diligence as the investor, yeah, as, the, as the limited partner, but mm-hmm. not necessarily in the, the real estate. Exactly. Day to day, there's less management. Mm-hmm. So it's really, you know, it's, it's about whether you front end your workload mm-hmm. or you kind of have it staggered throughout the project, right? As long as you're doing your due diligence in the end, whether it's buying that stock mm-hmm. or investing in a private real estate investment, mm-hmm. you're able to make that decision, invest, and then you're able to reap the rewards of that investment, or you're able to learn from it. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, hey, this didn't work for me. Maybe I need to do X, Y, and Z next time. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I need to stay away from this asset class because it just doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you're part of a company called the Loche Capital, right? Correct. And what kind of, um, I guess, is it is it only, do you guys only do real estate deals, investments, or are there other types of syndications that are not relevant to real estate? No, so we've spoke, we focus and specialize in real estate. Okay. Within that space, we really focus on ground up construction. Uh-huh. So what we'll do typically is we'll buy a vacant lot, we'll rezone it, we'll build an apartment complex on it, and then we'll usually exit our position and we'll sell our stake. So typically it's a more shorter term investment within a longer investment cycle. Mm-hmm. So within real estate, for example, you can invest for like three to five years, Mm -hmm. 10 to 30 years. It just depends on your model and your strategy, right? So for us, when we're buying this land, the first step where we add value is by rezoning it. So what that means is the land was vacant and you're able to build, let's say one house on it. Mm -hmm. Now you rezone the land so you can build four units on it or eight units or whatever the situation is based on the the Mm -hmm. zoning laws. So we rezone it and then we'll actually build an apartment complex. And then that's the, that's the next phase where it's now worth more mm-hmm. because initially it was vacant land. The potential profit was X. Mm-hmm. Now we rezoned it. Maybe the potential profit is X plus five or two X, mm-hmm. whatever the numbers you want to use. Um, and now we've actually built the apartment complex. Now it's worth even more and mm-hmm. there's less risk involved. And there's a higher likelihood that the asset, the land and the building mm-hmm. both combined will generate a profit. So the land and the building combined are now worth even more. And then that next phase is when you stabilize the asset. Mm-hmm. What that means is you actually, you know, get, get tenants in, tenants start paying rent, and mm-hmm. then the property is now cash flowing. At that point, you look at the NOI, the net operating income, mm-hmm. you look at the local cap rate, the capitalization rate, and mm-hmm. you're able to say, okay, this property is worth 
5 million, 10 million, 15 million, mm-hmm. whatever it is, depending on the project that you've developed. Mm-hmm. And so just to kind of recap, so you, you find a property, you find a vacant land, it's worth, you know, let's just say 100,000. You get a construction loan. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Or you from a, from a bank, another bank? From a bank, correct. Okay. And then you get a construction loan, you build up. How long does it take to, I know some projects vary, but I guess if you could share with us a recent example of sure. how, and how long it took you to actually develop it. Sure. So I, like you mentioned, every project, you know, is different. Um, one caveat I would say is we don't just do vacant land. We also do like properties, like you'll mm-hmm. buy a single family home, demolish it and do okay. the same thing. So it's not just um, vacant land, mm-hmm. but anyway, right now we're working on a project. It's called Fair Street. I know we mentioned it on our last call and you kind of, you know, had a few questions and wanted to understand the deal a little better. Mm-hmm. So right now we're developing 188 units in Patterson, New Jersey. The project's called Fair Street. Um, basically, it's going to be structured as two separate buildings. Mm-hmm. Each one is going to have um, about, 90, mm-hmm. about 90 or so units mm-hmm. in each one, nine, 94 units in each. Mm-hmm. and then uh, one commercial space in each, and they're going to have about 90 parking spots in each building. So it's going to be two buildings, total of 188 residential units, mm-hmm. two commercial, and a total of 180 parking spots. Mm-hmm. So that's the project we're building, and we're projecting it would take 24 months, two years, mm-hmm. to develop from the ground up. At that point, we project it would take about six months to actually stabilize the apartment complex mm-hmm. and rent out those units. So the total project is projected to be 30 months long. Mm-hmm. We're projecting a 66% cash on cash return. So what that means is if an investor invested 1 million, we're projecting that they'll make 660K in 30 months, right? The internal rate of return, which is a standard phrase they use in, mm-hmm. in real estate development mm-hmm. is projected to be 29%. So, I mean, all of these are projections. We have a lot of experience in the industry. Mm-hmm. We're pretty confident with our ability to deliver but all in, all investments carry risk. And whenever mm-hmm. I speak to anyone, especially on a forum like this in a podcast, mm-hmm. I really want to reiterate that all investments carry mm-hmm. risk mm-hmm. and there's no such thing as guaranteed return. Even in the example, I don't want to knock whole life insurance. Yeah, yeah. Even in that example, when we talk about like dividend and everything yeah. and the history of how, yeah, how yeah. these companies have over hundred years of, of paying dividends and they're amazing, even in that situation, there's risk. So anytime you're talking about any investment, I think it's mm-hmm. important and prudent to really mention that all investments carry risk and you should only invest in something that you feel comfortable in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that on the whole life side, there's typically two sides. There's the guaranteed side and then there's the non-guaranteed side, which, which has dividends. In other words, to your point, dividends are not teed. There's just a high, very high certainty that they're going to keep paying out dividends exactly. because of the way that the life insurance companies operate. They're, they're typically life insurance. They're investing in bonds, and private real estate deals and loans to other financial institutions. Yeah. So they're super conservative, very safe, mm-hmm. very safe. And I think I was actually, I'm doing the CFP exam, or not the CFP exam, the CFP coursework right now, the certified financial planner coursework. And in one uh-huh. of my courses right now, there's like a pyramid of low risk investments to high risk. On the bottom, it's CDs, uh, treasury bills, yeah. um, whole life insurance. And then all the way at the top of it is like futures and commodities and forex yeah. trading. <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, we're all attracted to the top, you know, at the top, at the yeah. pinnacle, there's probably crypto. Yeah, yeah. It is, right. So we're all, I think sometimes, you know, people are attracted to that just because it's interesting and everything. And it's yeah. fun. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of adrenaline associated with it. And I think yeah. there's a place in everyone's portfolio for it when you want to talk diversification and everything. But 
it, yeah. to me, it circles back to knowing yourself. Like at some yeah. point, if you're not interested in that most shiny investment. Yeah. Then don't follow it. Don't worry about other people and what they're doing. Yeah. Focus on your investments, focus on your strategy, fine tune it. Mm-hmm. And then give yourself that 20 years to see did your strategy work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and then also in back to that pyramid, it talks about the higher the risk, the more likely kind of more likely higher return, not necessarily like high risk always means high return, yeah. but, and it also talks about outpacing inflation. So we're kind of put in a situation, like you mentioned, like you want to focus on things you understand that's really important, but I think there has to be kind of a drive to invest your money. Right. Cause that's if you cool. don't, then you're exposed to inflation, especially right now. Um, I Googled I bond recently like uh-huh. yesterday and it's 9.62%. And do you know why it's 9.62%? Because mm-hmm. that's what the inflation is right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're, that's, we're, yeah. that's, that's the dangerous thing. You know, a lot right. of times we don't realize how dangerous something like inflation is because yeah. it's not really talked about until it's really bad or it's really high. And yeah. the reality is like, I don't know about you or the average person that's listening to this podcast. I doubt that the average person is getting, you know, a 9% raise to mm-hmm. come. Oh, inflation is 9%. So we're giving 9% raise. Yeah. It doesn't happen like yeah. that in, in the American corporate world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your raises and stuff are based on your performance. Mm-hmm. If two to 3% is normal, you know, people are getting nine plus percent. It's abnormal. And mm-hmm. that's awesome for you. You're a high performer and that's great. And we all want to be at that level of being a high performer. But the reality is that you know, you and I, or people in general who are worried about financial literacy, mm-hmm. we can't leave things like our salary negotiation or salary conversation to our manager or to our boss or anything. We have mm-hmm. to really take it on ourselves. And mm-hmm. when it comes to our capital, whether it's $1 or $100 million, mm-hmm. to be really prudent in investing it and figure out what strategy works for us mm-hmm. and how we can use leverage. And that's the beautiful thing when you talk about cash value, whole life yeah. and uh, being, be, becoming your own bank and being your own bank and mm-hmm. thinking like a bank. That's what a bank does, right? They leverage money all day, every day. They get money from the treasury. Yeah, then they yes. loan it to you and I. And they charge us much more than they get it from the bank, yeah. uh, the US treasury for, and they make that spread. Yeah. And I think the cool thing about the whole life cash value that yeah. you discuss a lot is that you then become a bank where yeah. you can actually take out money. Yeah. You can, I think I think the number you mentioned, maybe 90%. I could be wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you, know, if you have 100K in, you can take it out 90%. I don't mm-hmm. remember what the exact interest rate or cost is what mm-hmm. is it maybe five percent six as of now as of today's rates five percent simple interest okay five percent simple interest you could then invest in whatever vehicle you want mm-hmm. i have you know fixed return promissory notes yeah. starting at ten percent i have you know variable investments in our funds mm-hmm. that you know we have different funds that have been running for several years now mm-hmm. and over the last four years the weighted return is over 15 percent. so you have variable return at about, let's say, above 15% mm-hmm. over the last four years. Um, and that's, you know, a huge asterisk. Some years were worse, some years were better. We have peak COVID performance. Overall, we target double-digit returns, mm-hmm. um, but nothing is guaranteed. So I'm, you know, prefacing it a lot with, yeah. you know, there is risk associated with every investment. And then we have, you know, structured promissory notes, which we can be paid out as, as often as monthly mm-hmm. for investors, right? So, and those start at 10%. So taking that example, Sari and I sit down on a podcast, Sari yeah. decides to invest hundred million, yeah. Sari's, you know, loaded um, <laughs> and we're all happy for him, but it's hundred million of his whole life insurance money. So although he has liquidity as well, he wants to leverage the bank's money because mm-hmm. that's what the podcast is about. Mm-hmm. Um, leveraging other people's money to really scale. Cause that's what banks do. 
So now he gets his hundred million from the bank mm-hmm. from his whole life. Mm-hmm. It costs him five percent. Yeah, he invested with Veloce Capital. Hypothetically, mm-hmm. he makes ten percent. So net, he's making five percent profit off of. I guess you, Sari, you would consider it your money, right? Yeah. I would consider it the bank's money or the whole life insurance policy's money, but yeah. really it was your money in the whole life that you then leveraged. So yeah. Yeah, however yeah, we sure. look at it, really, it's like an infinite return because you're still putting in money into your whole life. Your whole life is still invested. Yeah. It's still getting paid out. I guess, depending on the structure, it's still getting paid out that 3% or so dividend. Yeah. So it's like you're making money in two buckets. Exactly. Yeah. And then when you borrow against it, it used to grow. So whether you borrow against a policy or not, it still compounds and still grows. So like you said, if you borrowed, invested with you guys in one of your structures at 10%, you would make a spread buying the money at 5% and then kind of selling it at 10%. Exactly. Plus you would make money in your policy. And this is where thinking like a bank, you know, comes in is like, and, and, you, and when you, when it's, when, when Sari mentions it, you, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this is possible. But that's the beautiful <laughs> thing, beautiful thing about financial literacy. Yeah. Right? The more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know. Yeah. And the more you realize that there's like an infinite way that you can yeah. scale. It just comes down to what strategy, what path do you want to follow to mm-hmm. attain, you know, that financial independence to retire early that financial freedom, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, words you want to use. Yeah. But ultimately you want to be in a position to really do whatever your, your goals are or your passions are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about, so I guess you have two types of uh, funds. You have equity funds, which we talked about, like the syndication, the ground up development, that would be yeah. more on the equity side. And then you have also debt. So this is essentially uh, people investing into the fund as lenders. Am I right Correct. about that? Mm-hmm. Correct. So basically, like you mentioned, we have equity investments. Mm-hmm. So we have funds for those. Typically, it's structured as a 70-30 profit split, right? We do have, and there's no, no management fee. So a 0% management fee. That's one option. Mm-hmm. The other option is an 80-20 profit split with a 2% management fee. So the structures sound a little different, mm-hmm. but bottom line, the projected return to investors is similar. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, two different, two different vehicles mm-hmm. that invest in the same product. They invest in the same ground up construction deals, the same type of deals, mm-hmm. the same type of structure, but not the same exact deal necessarily. And then we have the debt fund and the mm-hmm. debt structure. And the cool thing about the debt structure is, you know, what you're going to get all day, every day, mm-hmm. and you know, whether I've delivered for you all day, every day, because with equity investments, there's variability, mm-hmm. which some people don't like. And it, that's why I circle back to, it's important for you to know yourself. Yeah. Because I don't want to ever be in a conversation with Sari or with anyone. And it's a conversation where I'm telling them what to do. That's not how I structure my conversations. I structure very fluid. You tell me what you want. You tell me how much you want to make. And we'll go about it because ultimately I'm here to deliver for you. Um, And that's the cool thing about the debt. It's it's really for, you know, people who are first getting to know us or Mm -hmm. people who like that certainty. Because a lot of people, you know, they get anxious when they talk about money or they get anxious because there's so much information or it's confusing or there's, there's a lot of different buckets mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. want to reduce the anxiety as much as possible. Yes. So if it's a situation where you come to me and say, Hey, Mustafa, I'm looking to make 10% a year. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Sorry. Sounds good. How much are you looking to invest? I know you mentioned hundred million last time, sorry, but we'll lower <laughs> it now. We'll say hundred K. So now sorry, he's looking to invest hundred K. So I'm like, okay, sorry, no problem. How often do you want to be paid? Now, this is already like a different structure conversation yeah. because normally, you know, it's, it's more rigid in real estate and yeah. real estate is structured in a very rigid manner by nature because of the asset class you're investing in. Yeah. You're investing in a product 
that is illiquid by nature. Mm-hmm. When you go to buy a house, so do you own your house? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So when you bought your house, how long did it take? To uh, find it and buy and everything? And everything, yeah. The whole process to get your oh, wife yeah. on board. I know you mentioned you have a son. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember. I don't, I don't know how old he is, but to get your son on board, to get yourself on board, how long did it take? Find it, buy it, move in. Yeah, it took a while. It was a process, especially in the market. It took about three months to find. We saw like 60 houses in three months. Oops. Yeah. Found it, got the loan. It took like 45 days approximately for the loan to yeah. go through. But yeah, it was yeah. a process. So all together about three months. Okay. So same for me right? About three months. Okay. I imagine selling it. Do you think it would take three months, one month, six months? Like, what do you think? I think if we sold it right now, yeah. If we rushed, we'd probably be out of here in three months. Okay. So it took three months to find it. Yeah. Three months to sell it. Yeah. If you were going to do anything to add value in the property, it would take some time. Let's yeah. say one day, it would yeah, be one yeah. day to add value. Hypothetically, it took you one day to add value. That means six months. Yeah. Right. Now I'm coming here saying, Hey, I'm giving you options of being paid out monthly. Yeah. Being paid out quarterly, being paid out semi-annually or annually, right? So yeah. very simply, for me, it's important. And I think for investors, it's important to understand where money comes from mm-hmm. and how profit is generated, Yeah. right? So when we're saying, oh, hey, you know, you can make potentially 10% a year paid out monthly, that means that profit has to have already been generated, right? There has to already be a spread because real estate in our example that we're discussing in the yeah. single family market, Mm-hmm. It took six months to buy the house and sell the house. Yeah. And in theory, make profit. Yes. It's, you know, difficult to do it that quickly, but yeah. it's doable. Right. Yeah. So now in this example that we're discussing, right, mm-hmm. you've invested hundred K you've yeah. agreed to terms. It's a promissory note. So it's a debt structure in terms of taxes. It would be a 1099 interest uh-huh. and you've decided to invest and you're making 10% a year, which works mm-hmm. out to be 0.83% a month. Mm-hmm. The first month you get your check, right? Your, your profit. Okay. Now your question before you invest or while you invest could be, where does this money come from? Yeah. And very simply, it comes from the profit that we're generating in our projects, in our Mm -hmm. equity positions, we make much more. Mm -hmm. We're paying out less because we're mitigating your risk by saying, Hey, this is a quote unquote guaranteed return. It's Mm -hmm. a debt. It's a form of debt. I owe you just like, you know, when a bank gives you a car loan Yeah. that you have to pay it. If yeah. you don't pay it, there's recourse. The yeah. recourse is that they would repossess your car. Yes. They might not do it in month one, month two, whatever. Eventually they'll repossess it because it's an asset, right? In yeah. the same situation here, when you invest, right? It's a debt I owe you with the money. Mm-hmm. So I have to pay it. And the reason why the return is less than the equity investment is because I actually need time to actually put that money to work. So it's yeah. a structure where you have to actually build a structure that's scalable for investors. And that kind of, that's kind of, you know, the ballpark because a lot of investors in my experience, mm-hmm. they like the, the monthly cash flow yeah. because it's kind of like, it kind of su- it sup- supplements their, you know, their, their, their paychecks. Yes. Mm-hmm. You get paychecks every two, two, two weeks or every, or twice every month. And then you get this check from Veloce ACH straight to your bank account. Yeah. It's very convenient. People like it. And then it builds, it builds trust. Right? Yeah. So some people will come in and say, Hey, Mustafa. You know, I'm looking to invest in this Fair Street project, mm-hmm. but it seems a bit confusing for me. So I think I'm going to hold off and I'm going to go for one of your debt vehicles mm-hmm. because it makes more sense and I can understand it. And in the back of their mind, they can hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. But at the end of every month, they know if the money came in or not. And for me, like it's, it's easy. I set up an ACH and then I don't worry about it until three months before their investment term ends. Mm-hmm. I follow up to see how everything's going, if they want to continue or if they want to cash out. Mm-hmm. It's a very 
you know, it, everything is set on the investor, on the, on the partner's schedule, right? So if you decide to partner with us, it's very simple. What do you want, Sari? What are you looking to accomplish? And mm -hmm. how do we structure a solution around that? Okay. And some people are fine waiting. They don't need the liquidity. They like this 30 month investment period yeah. because the taxable income is less. Because yeah. it's a W2, it's a, you're a K1 investor, excuse me. Yeah. So your income is taxed less. Mm -hmm. Some people, you know, they're not concerned about the taxes. They're just concerned about how much money can I make? Mm -hmm. So every investor is different. And it's kind of important to understand when you're creating a partnership, like a long-term relationship. And it's the same in your industry, right? When you're talking about whole life insurance, yep. maybe for that person, term life is better because maybe mm -hmm. whole life costs more mm -hmm. and liquidity is an issue right now, but it might not be in 10 years. It really depends on how yeah. you structure it. And maybe if liquidity is an issue, there's another way to structure a whole life policy, right? So it's about kind of understanding the needs. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Is there a solution there? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I, I, I couldn't agree with more with you. Um, it's, you know, about understanding the client, understanding where they want to go, the differences between equity. Ed. I love how you mentioned the differences, right? It's like you can have more with equity, but with a little bit more risk too, or the debt side guarantee you're going to get, but it's structured already. You can predict, you know, every month I'm going to get X amount or every quarter I'm going to get X amount of dollars. Uh, there's different. And then a lot of companies, right? Like almost, I would say the vast majority of companies are structured with either equity and debt, both. Like they have their banks and then they have their um, equity partners. So this is a very common thing in business to have both equity and debt and like a balance. I think like, I don't know, 70, 30, maybe 70% equity, 30% debt or whatever. There's no hard rule behind it, yeah. but there's typically like a balance between debt I think, and- I, I agree with you. It is very common, but mm -hmm. I think in the real estate space, in yeah. our industry, I think it's less common or maybe people just get confused or maybe it's packed yeah. differently. I'm not really sure, mm -hmm. but I think ultimately, like you want to partner with somebody who has a track record. You want to partner with somebody who you trust and you want to partner with somebody who kind of delivers for you. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Veloce Capital. As you get to know us, you know, we're yeah. not the biggest name on the block. We're not the biggest company on the block. And that's sort of by design. Yeah. Right. Like we want to really, you know, start out with more friends and family. And then it's just scaled mm -hmm. from there. And that's kind of where we're at, where we've had, you know, solid, consistent returns for investors. And we're just looking to continue to develop that relationship. Very nice. And, and I think from our conversation a couple of weeks ago, you have a few options, right? You have options. I think the equity side is only for accredited investors, typically very similar to other real estate syndications, usually like $50,000 minimum uh, accredited only. And then you also have non-accredited, which could be the debt side. And I think from a stake, it could be as little as $5,000 to invest as a limited partner. Yeah. So there's a couple of things, right? Mm -hmm. So we have on the debt side, it is accredited only actually. Okay. Okay. So the debt you. side is accredited only. Um, it's as low as 25,000 typically uh -huh. um, and terms start at 10%. So it's quite a low minimum to be honest with you in the, yeah. in the industry for such a secure product. Mm -hmm. um, then on the equity side, we have, I don't want to keep it technical, but I'll yeah. mention the terms just in case people aren't familiar. Yeah. Um, we have something called a Reg A, Regulation uh -huh. A. It's a guidance under the SEC. What that means is the SEC has reviewed our financials. They've reviewed everything and they've given us approval to raise money and to talk about it on platforms uh -huh. like this uh -huh. is why I discuss it. Um, that's as low as $5,000 and anyone can invest. You don't need a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when we mention terms like accredited and non-accredited, you know, sometimes people, people get confused. The way I say it is very simply, like, just reach out to me. Yeah. We can have a conversation. And if you're accredited, okay. If you're not accredited, okay. Mm -hmm. Either way, you walk away from the conversation learning a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And you know what options are available for you as you continue to scale. 
because I'm of the opinion that if you're on platforms like this, if you're listening to podcasts like Sari is, if you're doing whole life like Sari mentions, then you'll be accredited eventually. And then it's just yeah. a matter of time before you have more options. But before that, you have um, the equity investment. It's as, as low as 5,000. It's, it's an 80-20 profit split with a 2% management fee. Gotcha. And that's for non-accredited investors. So anyone can invest. Okay. Then you have the 70-30 yeah. with no management fee. It's generally for accredited only. Um, there's a specific regulation. So we have up to 35 non-accredited investors. And that's typically when we open a new fund. Once we hit 35 non-accredited, we mm -hmm. open a new fund. Um, and then we have the debt that we mentioned initially, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, accredited only. Gotcha. Sounds good. So Mustafa, how can listeners connect with you and learn more about you and Veloce Capital? Yeah. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It's Mustafa Lada. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll post the link as yeah. well. Um, you can, you know, email me. It's ml at velocecapital.com. Again, mm -hmm. I think Sari will post a link. And yes. Sari, maybe just post on my uh, phone number as well. People can reach out to me directly if they have questions. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, like from my perspective, I'm always happy to connect with people, mm -hmm. talk about personal finance. Um, I find it, first of all, it's my passion. I enjoy it more than anything. Mm -hmm. But also I feel like oftentimes people don't have the resources that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually our fault right? We don't have the resources we're looking for because we don't ask the questions because mm -hmm. we feel shy or uncomfortable. Um, but the minute we can break through that and, and really tell ourselves there's no dumb question, yeah. then really we realize the world's our oyster. There's a wealth of information out there and we just have to change how we approach learning. Like it's not just about going to school or going yeah. to, you know, somebody who you view as a subject matter expert, mm -hmm. because oftentimes you'll be surprised like how much you can learn from people you least expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Never assume like you already know the answer to something like always just double check, ask. I, it's, it's free to talk to you, right? It's free to email you, give you a call, get to know yeah. you. So yeah, definitely. And I've learned, you know, I started this podcast just by asking questions, just not yeah. by assuming anything um, and really asking questions, kind of understanding the subject. Ask. There's a saying I love, it's the quality of your questions it, um, mm -hmm. leads to the, I forgot, but the quality of your questions is the quality of your life. So the better the quality of questions, the better life you have. Quality like you have yeah and it just kind of shows how powerful knowledge is and going out and breaking out and, and, and definitely going into self-education right so we're not talking about getting your master's degree or getting some sort of credential licensing this is more of you listening to podcasts reading books reading articles talking to people and getting to know things that are not really conventional or public information these are more things that were only available to the ultra wealthy until recently until i would say the last 20 years ago when we had this uptick of social media and public information readily available. So now anybody could implement these things and all these, you know, vehicles that we've talked about. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think that's the power of information. That's the power of platforms like this, that you've created. Mm -hmm. It's just an avenue for everyone to learn more and ideally scale together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mustafa, thank you so much for being on the show with us. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm looking forward to having you back on in the future. No worries. Thank you again. I really appreciate it and keep up the great work. Thanks to you too. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.